Hey, it's Sasha for your AM950 weather. Tonight, we have mostly clear skies with a low around 26. On Thursday, a chance of snow, mostly cloudy skies, and a high near 32. Come eat at the Great Wall Restaurant, just north of 50th in France in Edina. The Great Wall Restaurant has been providing a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Try the hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. with Brett Johnson on a Wednesday afternoon. Glad to have you with us. A lot of news to get to today as we'll be talking about democratic strategies beyond 2020 and talk about some local stories as well, including Amy Klobuchar possibly being the new U.S. Attorney General. But first, we're going to start things off with our usual Wednesday interview. That's with Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Great resource to follow along with what's happening in Minnesota politics. That website is minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, how are you doing today? Good to have you back on the show. Good to be here. Absolutely. So, yeah, a couple of topics I want to go through today, but let's start off with these new restrictions that were put in place last night by Governor Tim Walls with the uh, biggest piece of news coming out that, well, bars and restaurants are going to be closing at 10 p.m., plus we'll be having some more limits on indoor gatherings. Politically, do you think this really affects or impacts anything here in Minnesota, especially at the state legislature? What are your thoughts? Well, I think there's uh, it's, it's no accident that he waited until after the election to do this. He did not want this to become a fodder for the 2020 uh, election. Um, you know, I think he's uh, he's in a bit of a bind here. He's going to get uh, criticized by both sides, uh, public health advocates and, and his progressive left who, who want him to be even stricter. And then, of course, uh the small business, uh, small businesses, and the bar and restaurant lobby, and Republicans who are going to be critical of this move. Um, but in the end, he's the governor. The buck stops with him. He's got to make the right public policy decision. I can only assume that that he has done that. Um, and the best move politically for him is is to try to get the virus under control as best he as he can. Um, it's difficult as as one of fifty governors when there's no national strategy, and um, you've got we're we're basically an island uh, in a sea of of uh, COVID nineteen states right now. I mean the Dakotas, Iowa, and Wisconsin is just the the it's just uh, out of control, um, and so it's a difficult political challenge. Um, but again, I think good policy makes for good politics, and so he's got to try to. Uh, just do what is the right policy, uh, and, I, and hopefully that's that's what he's doing in this case. He's going to face a new legislature in January, and there was some speculation on, on election night that uh, Republican gains in the House, uh, and of course they retained the Senate by a narrow majority. The Republicans retained the Senate control, but there's now a working uh, majority to, I think we talked about this last week, maybe, mm-hmm. to overturn Walz's as emergency powers. Um, I'm not, I, I'm very skeptical of that. Um, I, I just don't see Democrats, uh, no matter how moderate they are, or whatever their district looks like, especially this early in the term, I don't see them going against the governor, especially given the latest COVID-19 numbers, which are pretty brutal. Uh, you know, I think Minnesotans as, as a, as a culture and as a rule are a pretty prudent people and see those numbers. They, they see the hospital, uh, capacity numbers. They know the small hospitals and, and even in rural areas are, are going to be up against it here. So it's a tough situation. Uh, but I think he's, um, he's in relatively good position, um, in terms of the, the public's support. 
And, and as you mentioned, Republicans are already uh, up in arms about how the emergency order has been extended and how we do have additional restrictions that are now in place. But as you mentioned, there's really not a whole lot they're going to be able to do about it, especially during the month of November and December, since we still are going to have the old makeup of the state legislature, which is currently, I believe, a 77 to 59 DFL. No, it's 75 59 DFL majority. Now, what is important to point out that come January, that DFL majority in the House, I believe, is going to dip down to 70 to 64, which means it would only take four Democrats to cross over to the Republican side to end those emergency powers of Governor Walls. But I agree with you on that, that it would be tough to find those four Democrats since, well, any of them that were maybe hedging and thinking, oh, maybe I would go with the Republicans on this. Well, they probably lost on election night about a week ago. So yeah, I'm with you. It'd be tough to find four Democrats that would go against Governor Walls on this because, well, they would almost certainly be shunned by the TFL for ending those emergency powers and it would be a very ugly situation. So probably going to have more of the status quo of what's been happening as these emergency orders have been uh, continuing on uh, for the past several months. Do you kind of agree with that assessment as well? Right. I mean, unless unless Republicans can get uh, some wavering Democrats to come over uh, and, and just imagine the intense pressure that they're going to feel uh, from Walls, his allies, the Speaker of the House, uh, labor uh, labor leaders, and so forth. Um, it just the the idea of embarrassing the governor in the first uh, month or two of the new legislative term, and and as he starts on his reelection, it's it's a little hard to envision. Um, you know, anything is possible, I suppose, but. Uh, and then the the other issue is is that just just the, the fact of the pandemic, and the, the facts on the ground uh, mm-hmm. do not uh, lend themselves to loosening restrictions or taking the governor's emergency powers uh, because the the emergency has worsened and deepened. So we, of course, are going to have a new special session with Governor Walls extending his emergency powers. At least as you've been observing things at the state legislature, are we really expecting anything to happen in this upcoming special session? Or is it eh, pretty much just a holding pattern until we have, of course, the new makeup of the state legislature coming into power next year? They'll vote on the the, uh, his, the emergency powers, um, but uh, that's... Uh, that's it. They'll, the Republicans in the Senate will vote to overturn it. In the House, uh, they will not have the votes to overturn his powers. Uh, I've not heard of anything in a, in a lame duck um, uh, session. Um, and they did a bunch of, you know, they did a lot of uh, work uh, right before the election when they passed the big bonding and tax cut bill. So I'm not expecting anything major. We're speaking with Patrick Kulikan. He is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Website is minnesotareformer.com. So today in your guest commentary, you had a guy named Dwight Hobbs, who's uh, been involved in the Minneapolis community for a number of years, uh, write a commentary about Minneapolis Police Chief uh, Arredondo, where they basically demoted their chief of staff, Art Knight, in the Minneapolis Police Department for saying something that I think a lot of people agree is obviously true, that the police department really doesn't rectify or hasn't really rectified its recruiting problem. And, well, it's going to end up with the same old, as Art Knight said when he was talking to the Star Tribune, the same old white boys. And, of course, leaders in the black community are also backing Knight and not happy about this demotion. So, it was a good commentary, I thought, from Dwight Hobbs. Encourage people to check that out. But at least as I look through, this demotion seems pretty extreme to do. I mean, again, Art Knight was just talking to the Star Tribune and saying that, well, the Minneapolis Police Department, they have a problem with recruiting, and it's how they end up with the same old white guys. And, well, this is going to continue to happen. And, yeah, to me, this seems like a pretty extreme demotion. And I think more importantly, it's only going to hurt the perception of the Minneapolis Police Department with its own citizens. Uh, what do you think about that, at least with this guest commentary? I think that's only going to just continue to hurt the perception of the MPD. Yeah, it was a strange series of events. The Star Tribune uh, had a story a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, about the the inability of Minneapolis police to recruit and retain black officers. And, you know, buried deep in the story, um, 
our knight says we got to figure this out otherwise we're going to wind up with the same old white boys um you know maybe a little indelicately stated but i mean does anybody really take offense at that statement i mean to me it's it's anybody who does it it seems like that they're making a bad faith complaint (laughs) um and and is he is he incorrect uh, for that matter, um, because the the department does not seem to have uh, enough black officers and obviously has really significant community relation problems. Uh, so the the chief who has been backed by the black community um, is is quite and is popular citywide. Took this extraordinary step of demoting Knight. Um, and there hasn't been, and, and the union, of course, backed this, the, the white dominated union, um, led by, uh, Lieutenant Bob Kroll. Um, again, it's not, not someone who is, um, a good faith actor on, um, city race relations at all. Uh, so the, there was quite a bit of, um, unhappiness in the black community. Um, about what transpired, and uh, I think some disappointment with Rondo, uh, the police chief, on this. Yeah, and then talking about that Bob Kroll angle, I mean, almost immediately after Derek Chauvin was arrested and charged with murder, well, Bob Kroll was saying, well, we need to have due process with Derek Chauvin and these other police officers, and well, for the most part, Kroll seems to be pretty silent about this uh, demotion of Art Knight for basically saying something that's true. So, again, those perception problems are going to continue with the MPD, given uh, the current situation we have. Yeah, I mean, I don't. it seemed like a, a double standard, and, uh, you know, Kroll has been accused in the past of, um, of harboring his own racial prejudice, um, so... Um, he was, he's just not a reliable narrator on race yeah. issues. Yeah, most certainly. All right, one more topic I want to get uh, your thoughts on here, uh, Patrick. Again, uh, Patrick Kulikan with the Minnesota Reformer. Website is minnesotareformer.com. And, well, the latest rumor is that our current U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar is on the short list for possibly being Joe Biden's U.S. Attorney General. Any thoughts on this, or do you think there's a real chance that this could actually happen? She certainly has the legal background, but as I'm sure you can get into, there would be uh, certainly some downsides for Democrats if Klobuchar were selected as attorney general and then more importantly confirmed as the Senate. So do you think there's any chance this could really happen with Amy Klobuchar becoming U.S. attorney general once Biden becomes president? I don't really buy it, um, and for a few reasons. One is that uh, you know, I don't think they want to put Minnesota in, on the Senate map in 2022. Mm-hmm. There would be a special election. That's really not ideal. As uh, I mean, I think there's a, there's a widespread assumption that 2022 is a difficult midterm election for the Democrats. It, you know, midterms have in in the recent past been tough on presidents. Um, so that's one issue. Uh, another issue is, I mean, I think, you know, another name that I've heard uh, touted is Doug Jones, um, the outgoing senator of Alabama. He uh, had been U.S. attorney under Bill Clinton. Um, he, he would know Joe Biden really well uh, going back a long time. And uh, he, he prosecuted um, this Alabama, uh, Montgomery, Alabama church bombing uh murderers and um you know i think that would be uh there's something symbolically powerful about that and uh it's also uh he's he's free <laughs> because yeah. he lost um so he uh you know and then the issue with with senator Klobuchar is uh you know and i don't know that if people in minnesota know her her reputation what her reputation is in washington um you know she's a, she's an ambitious a uh, politician in her own right who is extremely mindful of her own press. Um, she has a reputation for being a very um, difficult, to uh, me, difficult is not the word, a very, let's say, um, demanding boss who has had, uh, I mean, this is this was flashed on the front page of the New York Times, uh, the way she treated in a demeaning fashion her own staff. Um, and uh, so, 
Yeah, that's really a, a management question, and, and the, the Attorney General of the United States tens of thousands of employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and back again to her being sort of an ambitious person in her own right, who pays attention to her own press. The, you know, the, when you work for the President of the United States, everything has to be committed to the President and his mission. And um, sure, there's, you know, every administration is going to have uh, uh, deeply political people who have ambitions of their own and so forth, but you need to shut down those ambitions um, to a large extent uh, because you're serving at the pleasure of the president. And and so I think there uh, that, that might be a question that would arise uh, amongst transition staff and, and Vice President, uh, Vice President, President-elect Biden. Um, and... You know, and then the other thing is that she has this case hanging over her head where um, uh, there's a pretty good evidence that that uh, a guy was wrongfully accused um, in a high-profile murder, um, or at least there were irregularities and problems in the prosecution while she was a Hennepin County attorney. Um, that, As you remember, that, that that's kind of how her campaign for president ended very badly. I mean, she was trying to have a rally, I think, in St. Louis Park on the night before the, or two, two days before Super Tuesday, I think. Um, forgive me if I have the details a little off, but it was a, it was a demonstration. I mean, in her home, mm-hmm. you know, in her home city, more or less. Uh, so that that's going to, that's still there. Um, and I don't think that uh, President-elect Biden wants to uh, to carry something like that have had that uh, carry into his Justice Department. Um, so anyway, that's uh, a longer answer maybe than he wanted, but I just don't see it. I, I think there's probably a role for her in the administration if she wants it, but I'm not really... I'm a little uncertain that, that uh, she would be the Attorney General pick. And as you mentioned earlier, the political ramifications would be rather large here in Minnesota because if we remember what happened when Al Franken was forced to resign, that of course did trigger a special election where Tina Smith had to run and she of course ended up defeating her Republican opponent at the time, Karen Housley. And well, the exact same thing would happen if Amy Klobuchar were picked and then confirmed as the Attorney General where we would have a special election in 2022 in what I think is going to be a very difficult environment for Democrats. But there's another aspect in this as well. And the other rumor in regards to Amy Klobuchar as AG is that, of course, she would need a replacement in the Senate. And one of the names that's being rumored out there and floated is the current Lieutenant Governor, Peggy Flanagan. And while, of course, she would become one of the first, I think she would be the first overall Native American woman appointed and in the U.S. Senate, that, of course, creates another headache for the DFL because, well, Republicans hold the state Senate majority, which means, well, we would have a Republican lieutenant governor to replace Peggy Flanagan if she were to be appointed to replace Amy Klobuchar. So, yeah, there are lots and lots of issues to unpack here if this were to happen. And I'm kind of with you that probably not a real good chance this could happen. But even if it's not just to be the U.S. Attorney General, if she's appointed to another post, this would still cause all sorts of issues in the U.S. Senate for Minnesota, where Governor Walls would have to find a replacement and then have that replacement run again immediately in 2022. And any of these replacement options, of course, come with their own issues, as I brought up with Peggy Flanagan and potentially others. So, it would be a very steep hill to climb, I think, for Amy to get any position within Joe Biden's cabinet. Right. You're talking, yeah, there, there's the, the ramifications here at home are there as well. Uh, certainly, Governor Walls, is, is, is one of his closest advisors is, is a Lieutenant Governor Flanagan. Um, you know, I think it would, be, it would be nice to break that, uh, break that barrier and have the first woman, uh, Native American, U.S. Senator, uh, but you're right. Then, then the, the the Constitution states that the president of the state Senate becomes the lieutenant governor. Uh, that would be Jeremy Miller. Hmm. Um, and so now Walls would have a Republican lieutenant governor. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe that works to his advantage. He can um, tout bipartisanship. Um, that also set up a special election for Miller's seat. Uh, presumably, that's a safe. Republican seat, but um, remember it's thirty-four, thirty-three. So 
you have a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of drama there uh, because it could change the Senate majority, unlikely. But um, other names, uh, I actually heard as a dark horse of Melissa Hortman, the Speaker of the House. I don't really see that happening because Walls has a lot of work to do with her on the state budget. Uh, John Choi, Ramsey County Attorney, um, uh, the Mayor of uh, Duluth, Emily Larson. Uh, there's lots of good uh, folks who could um, who could fill the role, um, so that'll be quite uh, quite a choice to make if uh, if it comes to it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we've been speaking with Patrick Kulikan. He is the editor in chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Great resource for following along what's happening in Minnesota politics. That is minnesotareformer.com. All right, Patrick, we are just about out of time, but look forward to chatting with you next week again. Good to be here. Thanks. All right, we'll take a break and come on back with more here on FYI Politics with Brett Johnson. Twenty twenty has been stressful with the pandemic, economy, and even politics. Hi, this is Michelle Kitzmiller of Spirit of Living, and I'd like to show you some ways to lower your stress and boost immunity. One way is herbal medicine, which has many benefits you might not even know about, like helping with viral, bacterial, respiratory, digestive, and many other issues. Book a telemed session today at Spirit of Living to learn more about the many long-term benefits of herbal medicine. Call 651-245-6788 or visit spiritoflivingdr.com. Are you remote workers putting your company at risk? Not sure what steps to take to secure your data? Hi, Mark Sommerfeld from Rymark. The Rymark team is guiding our clients through these difficult times. In fact, demand has been so high, we created an easy-to-follow guide with the five steps to securely work from home. It's yours free. Download our five steps to securely work from home now at rymarkit.com or call 651 328 8900 for a no-cost how-to discussion. Looking for secrets to spiritual living? Explore Ekankar's online soul adventure seminar through November 30th. Hear profound stories of the transforming power of gratitude. Enjoy workshops, music from around the world, and a keynote talk by Sri Harold Plemp, the spiritual leader of Ekankar. As soul, you have the God knowledge within you. A soul adventure can touch you at the very core of your being. At this event, you'll find techniques to enhance your spiritual practices. Raise your spiritual IQ. See how a divine power is always at work behind the scenes on your behalf. This free seminar will give you a springboard for self-discovery and expand the love and wisdom already within your heart. For more info, visit spiritualevent.org, spiritualevent.org. Hi, I'm Alicia Luther Toms, Certified Financial Planner with RBC Wealth Management. You might think you have to give up performance to invest responsibly, but that simply isn't true. Responsible investing can actually have a positive impact on performance. We will work with you to come up with a strategy that matches your values. This is Alicia Luther Toms at 612-770-4460 or alicia.luther.toms at rbc.com. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Hi, it's Tom. Solar power is more important than ever as a long-term investment for yourself and your community. And that's why I trust All Energy Solar to provide a cost-effective, environmentally friendly energy system. But several key incentives that make solar available will be sunsetting in 2021. So now is the time to get your solar project on the books. All Energy Solar can walk you through the process using their zero-contact virtual evaluation process. Financing options are available to those who qualify. So go green and start saving at allenergysolar.com today. No matter what your taste, you'll find the music you're looking for at the Electric Fetus. Pick from rock, pop, international, roots music, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Or create your own compilation of favorites with the exclusive Mix and Burn CD station. Only available at the Electric Fetus. Dust off your vinyl or just make some space by turning your unwanted music into cash. The used selection changes daily, so check out the new arrivals often. 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at efetus.com. Thank you. 
AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to FYI Politics with Brett Johnson. I'm going to talk a little political analysis during this segment. Got three topics to go through and want to start off with the polling industry. Now, the last time I hosted a show was, of course, last week on Wednesday. And I remember saying on that show, well, talk to me next week and we'll take a look at where the polling errors really occurred. And as expected, at least when you look at the national popular vote, the polls are not going to be that far off. In fact, they're probably going to end up within the margin of error. Uh, Right now, Biden has about a three and a half point percentage lead in the national popular vote, but there are still some outstanding votes to be counted in the very blue state of California. And I'm expecting that national popular vote margin to probably get up near four or five points, which is pretty close to where the pollsters had it. They came into the election with Biden leading by about eight points. So while they were off a little bit, it still is within that three-point margin of error. That's likely where things are going to finish. But the bigger problem were the state polls. And it's more complicated than just saying the polls are wrong. Don't listen to them ever again. Because some of the states were exactly right with the polling data. In fact, if we look at Minnesota, Colorado, Arizona, and Georgia, uh, the pollsters were largely right. In Minnesota, they were predicting that, well, Biden would beat Trump by about seven or eight percentage points. And guess what? That's where we ended up. Colorado, those results also pretty much spot on, along with Arizona and Georgia. But what's interesting is how far off they were in other states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Ohio, and Texas. It's a really odd phenomenon that goes beyond just saying, well, throw out all the polling methods that we knew from the past because they were right in some states and completely off in others. And one of the answers is not just switching methods and going with what some of the right-wing pollsters did like Rasmussen or the Trafalgar group. Because if you look at them, these right-leaning pollsters, they were just as far off as some of the more mainstream pollsters like ABC, the New York Times, or the Washington Post. But the Trafalgar group does do one thing that I think could serve as a lesson to future elections to get more accurate polls. So here's what Trafalgar does. When they call people up and ask who you're voting for, they don't actually ask that question. Instead of asking who you are going to vote for, they ask who your neighbors are going to vote for, and that's how they decide where the candidates fall in terms of where they are going to be with polling. They don't ask who you're going to vote for. They're going, they ask who your neighbors voted for. I think they're on to something with this, but I would make a little modification. Instead of going completely by who your neighbors are going to vote for, I think you can still ask both questions. Who are you going to vote for and who do you think your neighbors will vote for? I don't think you're going to run into a case where you're going to have someone say, well, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden and then have them ended up lying and then saying, I'm going to go for Trump instead. I think what's more likely to happen is that someone who might be a little ashamed about who they're voting for is probably going to say they're undecided rather than lying about which candidate they're going to vote for. And that's where I think you can take this whole aspect of then asking, well, who do you think your neighbors are going to vote for? That's where I think you could get some more accurate data. So Trafalgar, as much criticism as has been leveled at them, I think they are slightly onto something with their method. But I don't think you can just take that at face value and go by, well, who are your neighbors going to vote for? And that's how you weight your polling data. I think you only go to that level if you run into someone who's saying that they're undecided about who they're going to vote for. By the way, another note on this, USC, University of Southern California, of course, uh, took this modified method when they were doing some polling data. They, of course, did traditional polling like we've seen for years and years, but they also did an alternative method where they kind of did what I was talking about, where they would also add a little bit of weight behind the idea of asking people who your neighbors are going to vote for. And guess what? With these alternate polls that USC did, they actually nailed the national popular vote as they forecasted with that alternative method of Biden defeating Trump by about four and a half percentage points, which is probably where things are going to end up once all the votes are counted for. Now, of course, this could all be thrown out the window once Donald Trump is out of office. The reason being is that, well, it could just be the idea that he's a special case where he's the one that messes up polls where you do maybe have some of these voters that say they're undecided even though they really do to support Donald Trump. reason I point this out is that the polls were largely right 
in 2018. So the entire industry is going to be really interesting to follow in the future because they could end up making a whole bunch of adjustments that maybe were only relevant during the Trump era. And then all of a sudden, things kind of go back to normal in terms of polling after 2020. So that'll be interesting to see in future elections. Either way, I would continue to read polling data with kind of a grain of salt in uh, in for future elections. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Now, I do want to talk about ticket splitting in just a second. But first, got Gary, on the, Gary in Minneapolis on the phone lines, who's been holding for a while. Uh, let's talk to him first. Hey, Gary, what are you thinking about today? Uh, hey, Brett, this is Matt. Oh, in, Matt um, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. My apologies, yes. Oh, that's okay. Um, great <laughs> show you got here, Brett. Um, I, I wanted to say, um, I, I find it, if Amy Klobuchar would be the Attorney General, I would find it very um, discouraging because I just don't see her being the type to hold Trump accountable for his crimes. We need an attorney general who will stand up and say this lawlessness is not acceptable. And I'll take my answer off of the air, but I, I just I just don't see Amy Klobuchar doing that. Thank you. Yeah, I could see her kind of going with that same sort of strategy that, unfortunately, uh, Democrats used back in, uh, let's see if we can get the uh, dial tone off there, Sasha. There we go. Yeah, I could see that being similar to what happened during the first few years of the Obama administration, where it was largely, well, we'll let bygones be bygones, and we're not going to do any investigations to the potential war crimes that the Bush administration enacted. Yeah, that very well could be the case with uh, potential Amy Klobuchar as attorney general. I really hope she doesn't get the post, though, and it's not so much her policy positions, it's just how much it would screw up the U.S. Senate As we brought up uh, with Patrick in the previous interviews, it would set up a special election in Minnesota. And once you have a midterm election and you're the party in power, uh, there's a good chance you could lose a whole bunch of seats that you normally wouldn't lose, which could potentially put that U.S. Senate seat in play. In fact, if I'm sitting there as Mitch McConnell and I'm the Republican Senate majority leader in 2021, I would be encouraging Joe Biden to appoint all sorts of Senate Democrats to these different cabinet positions because – Well, then you create a whole bunch of special elections where Republicans could potentially get some pickups. So if I were sitting there as Mitch McConnell, I would say, bring it on. Let's appoint as many Senate Democrats to these different cabinet positions as possible. And in fact, that very well might happen. I got more phone calls in just a moment that we'll get to. Uh, Sasha's doing yeoman's work on the phone lines there, so we'll get to them in uh, just a moment. But do want to talk about something else that happened in last week's election and something that I missed but probably shouldn't have. The idea of ticket splitting. In fact, I was even talking to someone about this on election day here at the station, the idea of ticket splitting, and I kind of dismissed it. I thought, there's no way you're going to have someone that's going to vote for Joe Biden and then a bunch of Republicans down ballot. But lo and behold, that pretty much happened in a lot of these races. The biggest example would be that state Senate race in Maple Grove, where Warren Limmer was able to defeat his Democratic opponent by about two percentage points, even though Joe Biden won that district by about eight points. And that phenomenon was not just contained to Minnesota. It happened all over the country. Susan Collins in Maine was reelected despite the fact that Joe Biden won that state by double digits. Same thing happened in North Carolina and Iowa and other states. As I sit here and think, maybe we should have seen this coming. If you look at the Joe Biden campaign, it was pretty much just anti-Trump. Now, of course, he did have some policy positions that he put through, but the focal point of the campaign was that Joe Biden is a decent man and he's going to improve America and he's not going to be the terrible person that Donald Trump is. And that's an effective argument for just that office. But if I'm sitting there as someone who might be more of an independent voter and I'm hearing that message from the Joe Biden campaign, yeah, I might sit there and think, all right, I'll vote for Joe Biden for president. But I'm not really sure where the rest of all of these Democrats stand on the issues. And that's what we saw a lot of happen on Tuesday. And it's something that is very, very dangerous for Democrats coming up in future elections. 
Do you think there's any chance that these people who voted for Republican office holders down ballot in 2020 are all of a sudden going to go and vote Democrat in 2022? Probably not. And this is still a challenge that Democrats have been facing for a long, long time. If we look back at prior elections where their election strategy has generally been, look at how crazy these Republicans are, while not really having a unified message about what they stand for. And it's a big problem because that only generally works for, well, the presidency of the United States and not a whole lot of other offices. As we saw, Democrats got slaughtered. Well, not necessarily slaughtered, but they certainly did not do well in some of these down-ballot races. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that there was really no unified message about what the Democratic Party necessarily stood for. So that's why we ended up with a lot of people who ended up voting for Republicans down-ballot, even though they voted for Joe Biden for the presidency. And it's very frustrating, I'm sure, if you're sitting there as a Democrat because you generally don't see this phenomenon go the other way around. I can't imagine we had too many people who voted for Donald Trump for president but then decided to vote for a bunch of Democrats down ballot. Most of the time, if you have someone who is going to vote for Republican for president, they're probably going to vote for Republicans down ballot. For people who vote for a Democratic president, it's a little bit more of an iffy issue in terms of whether they're going to continue to vote for Democrats down ballot. So. It's a big, big problem that the Dems are going to face in 2022, and they got to go through and find some sort of message on what they're going to run on in 2022. Because if they go with this same idea of just talking about how crazy their Republican opponents are in 2022, they're going to run into the exact same problems that they had in 2014 and 2010 and lots of other elections. Just talking about how crazy your opponent is and how bad the Republicans are going to be is not going to win you many votes, and especially in a midterm election, it's a recipe for not having a lot of success. I'll continue talking about what the DFL needs to do locally here in Minnesota in terms of ticket splitting in just a second, but now let's talk to the real Gary in Minneapolis. Gary, how are you doing today? Good, and how are you? Hey, doing I wrote good here. a bunch of ideas down today thinking over things, and uh, I just got a few for today, you know. Uh, the, the ladies on 950 this morning were talking about what's the reason 55% of the white women voted for Trump, and that was more than four years ago. And they were talking about patriarchy. patriarchy with a man. You know, my father used to tell me that when he was a kid, the man was the boss and the kids don't speak unless spoken to. And that's the way it was. There's a lot of that still with us because they, 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 I used to hear years ago that the women... Uh, might vote Democrats, some of them, because they don't want to tell their husband because uh, they get nervous and then they want to, they try to keep everything going smooth. And so there's a lot of truth in that. And then this is the other thing I want to talk about. Um, we're called the radical left. And what's radical about raising minimum wages to a living level, regulating corporate uh, greed and, and keeping clean water and air by regulating them? And uh, instead of this reverse Robin Hood coming from the right, uh, how about restoring the New Deal? And that's why I like AOC so much. She's one of my favorites. She wants to rebuild the Green New Deal plus a New Deal for working people where um, you include minority races and a lot of women. People have been left out with the New Deal. And Roosevelt couldn't do that because them Southern Democrats were getting, would get in the way of saving the country from going under. And uh, oh yeah, one other thing, uh, Gandhi once said, "Poverty is the worst violence," and that's what's going on in this country. All right, appreciate the phone call, Gary, as always. And he brought up a point that I, I found really good that he made when he said, "Often when we hear people say the radical left, the radical left, the radical left, we generally don't hear Democrats fight back against that argument." Instead of fighting back against the idea that, oh, we're the radical left and we're here to do with so-and-so and whatever, you know, the whole arguments that people make whenever they say the radical left. Oftentimes, re Democrats don't fight back against that argument. Instead, they say, no, we're not that. We're going to back off from whatever position you're talking about. And they end up playing defense on the issue. And that goes to that whole idea of what I was talking about just a few moments ago, how <laughs> – if you have a party that's not going to stand for anything, you're going to struggle. 
in a lot of these races. Yeah, you can maybe win the presidency because that's a high-profile race, and that's especially true when you're running against someone as unpopular as Donald Trump. But in those down-ballot races, you risk ticket splitting, which is exactly what happened in 2020. They have to find the Democrats some sort of message to run on in future elections, more than just being anti-Trump and anti-Republican. Now, I know some of the candidates did try to come up with some messages, but it wasn't the main feature of the campaign, where a lot of people didn't know about where some of these Democrats stood on the issue. I mean, stood on the issues. Look at Cal Cunningham in North Carolina, Teresa Greenfield in Iowa, Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, Sarah Gideon in Maine. Did you really know what any of those candidates stood for other than the fact that they were anti-Trump? Especially Jamie Harrison. His entire campaign was based around the fact that Lindsey Graham is a terrible Republican senator. And lo and behold, Jamie Harrison didn't do any better than any other Democrat probably would have done in that race against Lindsey Graham. So it's it's a big challenge that the Dems are going to face in 2022. And something they got to figure out, because like I said, these people that voted down ballot for Republicans in 2020, they're probably going to also vote for Republicans coming up in the 2022 midterm. So the Dems have to figure something out, figure out some sort of message other than just being anti-Republican, because as we've seen in previous election cycles, that's not going to take you very far. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Do have a couple of open phone lines if you want to chime in on what I'm talking about. We're going to take a break, though, and come on back and talk about what the local DFL can do to try to have success in 2022 with messaging. I think they do have a potential path trying to have a unified message to retake the state Senate and expand their majorities in the state House of Representatives. And I want to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. Again, you're listening to FYI Politics with Brett Johnson here on a Wednesday afternoon. Stick around. We got one more segment left. Happy Thanksgiving from Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, dedicated to serving over 500,000 homeowners. They want to thank you, Twin Cities, for 90 years of servicing your HVAC needs. Take advantage of the Thanksgiving special and save $1,000 or more on a new high-efficiency furnace. Ask about payment options and 0% financing. Learn how you can save $1,000 or more on your new furnace at standardheating.com specials. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, the comfort you deserve. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. How's your back? This is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design and host of Drink in the Style. If you've been working from home, you may be noticing the shortcomings of that one-size-fits-all desk chair that you bought at Office Warehouse. So I'd like to invite you to check out the most durable, most supportive, and most productivity-inspiring line of office chairs that I know of, the X-Chair. Dozens of settings ensure a perfect fit, so you can focus on your work and not your butt. Seriously, the seat moves forward and backward, the entire back moves higher or lower, the self-adjusting lumbar support provides the perfect level of resistance, and you can only experience the X-Chair in person at Habitation. So if you're ready to upgrade your homework environment, come check out the X-Chair. Habitation Furnishing and Design, 7777 Washington Avenue South in Edina and online at HabitationDesign.com. Again, HabitationDesign.com. With over 70,000 people succumbing to drug overdoses annually, Karkala Construction in St. Louis Park wants to remind you how severe our country's substance abuse epidemic truly is. And now, with complicating factors involving COVID-19, it's only getting worse. Drugs kill and make addicts of the people closest to us. If someone you know needs help, Karkala Construction urges you to seek confidential support by calling 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-HELP. 
Hi, I'm Scott Peterson with the Minnesota News Network, inviting you to join us for Minnesota Matters, a weekly program covering everything that matters in the North Star State. This week, the latest in local and national politics, as the dust continues to slowly settle on the most closely watched election in recent history. We'll hear from the elected officials themselves and have in-depth analysis, that and much more. Tune us in right here or at minnesotanewsnetwork.com. Sunday mornings at 6.30 on AM 950. In 154 years, one learns a thing or two. Since 1866, the Minnesota State Horticulture Society has been growing gardeners through education, encouragement, and community. Join the legacy. As a member, you receive the Northern Garden Magazine, participate in education events, have access to research hubs, and promote community gardening, connecting people, and helping neighbors grow healthy food. Join today by calling 651-643-3601 or search Minnesota State Horticulture Society. My name is Greg Bakken, and on my show, Ghostbox Radio, every week we'll have conversations about the paranormal, ufology, Bigfoot, or just the unusual. This week we bring on psychic medium tarot card reader Ane. Ane, who is an extremely gifted medium, will be on the show to do one-question readings for our listeners. Call in to see what the future holds for you. Join me every Sunday at 4 p.m. for Ghostbox Radio with Greg Bakken on AM 950, even if you're a skeptic. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, back for the final segment of FYI Politics with Brett Johnson. So the DFL was likely cost the state Senate because, well, people in a couple of Senate races decided to vote for the legalized cannabis parties instead of the DFL candidates. That happened in at least two state Senate races and also likely cost the DFL from knocking off Jim Hagedorn in the first congressional district and nearly ended up costing Angie Craig her seat in CD2. Now, the legalized cannabis parties, there are two of them, are going to remain a major party in 2022 since they did get at least 5% of the vote in that U.S. Senate election. And very likely, they're probably going to continue hurting DFLers, especially in the State House of Representatives coming up in 2022, where Republicans might have a good chance of actually taking that majority. But there's something that I think the DFL should do with this whole issue of legalizing cannabis. And I think rather than sitting there and trying to blame and whining about this cannabis parties and how they cost them seats in the state legislature, I would instead embrace that issue and make cannabis legalization a central part of the 2022 campaign. Because there's nothing you can do. Those legalized cannabis party candidates, they're going to remain on the ballots in 2022, and we're probably going to have even more of them uh, running in these state legislative races in 2022 than we even did back in 2020. And of course, a lot of them probably will be backed by Republican insiders to try to siphon off votes from DFLers. But like I said, embrace this issue if you're Democrats in Minnesota. Make it a central part of your 2022 campaign. Very likely, the national headwinds are going to be blowing against Democrats in 2022, so might as well try something different in that midterm election. And I think if you're the DFL, you could make cannabis legalization a very appealing issue from two different perspectives in that election cycle. One, of course, from the civil liberties angle of saying that, well, we don't need big government intrusion coming in on people's private lives. And of course, you can also uh, talk about that as well, how you're also spending government resources, prosecuting people for very minor violations of uh, cannabis laws and so on and so on. You can do it from a civil liberties angle. But you can also, I think, make this a big issue that the Dems could potentially win on in 2022 from a government funding perspective. We're very likely going to be facing some big, budget deficits in future years because of COVID. And if you use this issue as cannabis legalization, if you use it as a way to try to shore up some of these budget shortfalls, that could be another potential winning argument that you could make for it by saying, well, instead of raising taxes or cutting services and cutting our transportation budget, we could legalize cannabis and therefore bring in a whole bunch of extra revenue to the state. So I think there are two perspectives you can take on that issue from civil liberties and then also a government funding angle. 
you got to run on something in 2022. And I think this could be something that, well, Democrats could use in 2022 in these legislative races saying, hey, if you vote for DFL candidates, we'll legalize cannabis, which will help with civil liberties and also bring the government a whole bunch of extra funding, especially during times where we are facing some big time budget deficits. Whether it's that or something else, you got to run on something in 2022. Because what I can imagine ending up happening in 2022 in Minnesota is that, well, the Republicans are going to nominate someone crazy like the MyPillow guy, Mike Lindell, and that will pretty much be the entire Democratic campaign. Look at how crazy Mike Lindell or whoever else Republicans nominate for governor is. Look at how crazy there are. they are. Let's vote for Democrats instead because these Republicans are so crazy. Yeah, that could probably work for Governor Tim Walls in his re-election bid, but you know what, you're probably still going to run into some of the same problems we faced in 2020, where, yeah, you'll have people voting for Governor Walls, but then they'll vote for Republicans down ballot because, again, just talking about how crazy Republicans are is not a campaign strategy. So I'm throwing that idea out there. Use cannabis legalization as the issue you run on. Or pick another one. Just pick something. Pick some issue that you can unify the party around because saying Republicans are bad, won't get the job done. Let's get to one more phone call before we wrap up the show today. We got Robert in Columbia Heights. Hey there, Robert. Hi, Brett. Uh, Listening to the last thing you just said, I totally agree with you. The Democrats tomorrow should start talking to the legalized cannabis parties and say, we want you part of us and bring them into the Democratic Party. My main message was going to be the Democrats usually throw out 25 different things they want to do. They need to Mm -hmm. narrow it down to one, two, at the most, three points, and just keep hammering those three points over and over and over. Yeah, totally agree with you, Robert. And who knows, maybe running on the idea of legalizing cannabis won't work. But let's be honest, 2022 is very likely going to be a tough cycle for Democrats. So even if it doesn't work, any seats you would have lost probably would have been lost anyways during normal circumstances. I'm just afraid that if the GOP nominates someone crazy like a Mike Lindell, the MyPillow CEO guy, it's going to be very tempting just to run against him. And like I said, that very well could be successful in terms of Governor Walz's re-election campaign, but not going to really help you whatsoever down ballot if you don't have, as Robert was saying, one, two, or three things that you can highlight. You can't just come up with a laundry list of policy positions and expect that to do much because for the most part, and appreciate the phone call there, Robert, for the most part, people don't look through your 10-point policy plans. They want bumper sticker slogans, and whether it's legalizing cannabis or picking another issue, get something to focus on if you're the DFL in 2022. Running against Mike Lindell or Paul Gazelka if he's the gubernatorial nominee, you're going to have more problems in the state legislature, and you're very likely going to have a Republican House and a Republican state Senate. So get focused on something now. At least that's what I'm hoping the DFL ends up doing. All right, we are just about out of time for my show today. Stay tuned. We got Matt McNeil coming up next on AM 950.